It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. A one, a two, a one, two, three. Good day, folks. It's Rob Beach from Beach's Motorcycle Adventures. And once again, we've got another installment of our podcast, the COVID I'm Sitting Here Not Touring Somewhere Wild in the World podcast. It, it has to be a little international. You know how that goes. So we're reaching out across the border that none of us can actually legally cross at the moment to include none other than that icon of the great white north mike not in thunder bay ontario how do you do michael uh things are going pretty pretty good over here avi uh things are pretty cool in canada uh, not literally but that's oh. not far off i can tell you that <laughs> uh tonight i poured myself a nice glass of bitburger beer uh mostly because it was on sale at the liquor store and i'm super busy so that's what i bought and I thought I could sit here and enjoy, enjoy this uh, lovely tasting beer as we speak to John Flores. Uh, welcome aboard, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, indeed. Thanks for coming out and joining us. And, and I, list, I did listen to one of your podcasts, so I did bring a beverage with me also. I mm -hmm. have a, a glass of Elijah Craig Kentucky bourbon. It's usually, for, it's usually a wintertime drink for me, but for this podcast, I'll do it. All right. I, we're honored. We're honored. I'm, I'm just sitting here drinking a, a Molson Canadian, which would make Mike's toes curl. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought I recognized that can. <laughs> no. So, so uh, John, I want you to tell us a bit about yourself looking at some of your info on your webpage. And that seems like you have a pretty, pretty interesting background. Yeah, I actually have an advertising and marketing background. I don't know how that got me into motorcycles. Well, actually, I, I do because I would, I would work in an advertising agency and I would do some business writing and I got compliments on my business writing. John, that was a nice proposal you wrote. That was a nice thing you did. And I was like, I, I took it as a compliment, but I was like, I don't want that on my gravestone. Here lies John Flores. He wrote good business proposals. <laughs> Man, he could write a proposal. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I got to do something with this. And I loved motorcycles and I loved, I loved photography and I enjoyed the challenge of writing. So I was like, hey, maybe I could become a motorcycle journalist. 
And so that that was uh, something that was running parallel to the advertising side of things at the same at the same time. Yeah, it became my side gig. I made it. I made it a New Year's resolution one year to get published in a local motorcycle publication. So I did all my homework. I studied all the available publications, and I chose uh, Backroads out of here, out of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Brian and Shira. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, And I asked them for their submission guidelines. They told me how many words it had to be. I submitted a story about going to. Uh, the IMS motorcycle show at the Jacob Javits Center. And the story was about how, you know, it's it's such a long winter and everyone's just jonesing to ride their motorcycles waiting for spring. So they all go to the motorcycle show and sit on the bikes and make vroom vroom sounds and just pretend, <laughs> just wait for the spring to come. So I submitted it to them at Backroads. They published it and I got a check for $50, which was like gold. And... Mm. I ended up going to the local dealership and opening up the magazine and seeing my name in print. I was like, this is pretty cool. I want to do more of this. I know a guy who made the cover of that magazine. They say it's one of the finer magazines out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been involved with advertising since uh, what? The internet started since the first zero and one went across a telephone line on a 9600 baud modem or something like that i think <laughs> pretty much i actually uh my first job out of college was helping an advertising agency put max on everyone's desk so i was the guy responsible for installing the the mac lc or the mac plus or the mac pro and teaching the designers how to use hmm. all the programs and all that stuff so i was deep deep into the technology and then got into the marketing aspect of it in the 90s, right during like the, the dot-com boom and all of that stuff. It was interesting times, for sure. So you've seen a lot of change there within, within the advertising world. And then how did you end up uh, involved with the BMW Writers Association? It's interesting because I, I, my work, I'm a digital guy, right? It's all me. It's all about online. Um, but for my motorcycle stuff, it's been most, it's been mostly print. It was back roads, uh, to start. And then, um, I got a gig writing for Roadrunner magazine. Uh, I sub- again, I-, I made it a resolution to get published nationally. I did my homework, found out their submission guidelines, flew out to Las Vegas on my own dime and rented a motor, rented two motorcycles and did a couple of trips submitted to them and they, they published it. It was, it was pretty awesome. And I, I was looking at the email the other day and it was, this was like 2004, 2005. And they were like, um, we're, we want to publish your story. Can you send us a CD-ROM of your photographs? And it was like, wow, that was so long ago. That like, that was the way to, that was the way to send stuff back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I've had a great career with Roadrunner. I've been writing for them for over a dozen years now. And, uh, how that got me to the BMW Riders Association was that uh, there were, when they were looking for a new editor in chief of their magazine on the level, they there was a member on the board that had seen my work um, in Roadrunner magazine, and also in uh, I had some stories published in uh, the MOA's Owners News. So, were you a BMW rider at that point? I was, you know, it's funny because people ask me what kind of bikes to ride. I have bikes in the garage, but most of the time I'm riding press bikes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So my bike, my bikes always get neglected uh, in most, most years. So I'm, I'm like a press bike rider, I guess you could say. I just, I, right in the backyard right now in, in the driveway, I have the new R18, mm-hmm. uh, the BMW yeah. R18. Um, 
I just swapped the a 2020 Goldwing for that. So typically during the year, I ha I always have press bikes uh, in 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 uh, that I use all the time. So to answer your question, was I be a BMW rider? Uh, no, uh, but I've ridden a lot of BMWs on my trips and in my stories, and uh, and I, I it's a it's a really really awesome brand to be involved with. And I met with the club. Uh, talk to the board. Uh, it seemed like a really good fit for me in terms of expanding my my writing. Again, I'm a writer, so they were asking me to be an editor, and it was really, really. I had never really been an editor before, uh, but I took the job because I thought it would be a neat a, a neat thing to try. And I've really enjoyed working with the board and working with the members, and I've really enjoyed helping other people tell their stories. That's the, one th that's the one thing I really didn't realize starting this job that I would really, really enjoy. Um, I like writing my own stories still, but when someone has a neat idea um, and it just needs a little bit of polish, just needs a little bit of finish to it, and I can help them hone that, and, and we end up with a story that looks, that looks and reads really well, that, that gives me a lot of uh, personal satisfaction. Yep, yep, I understand that. And it also gives you a different perspective that, uh... Of, of the story, you know, one of the things that I've always found fascinating about looking at photos that people take on tour with us is how attracted to other people's photos I am in comparison to the photography that I shoot. And it's not necessarily that the stuff is technically better. It's simply the viewpoint, the, the, the perspective that whoever is taking that shot has that's different than mine. Their, their focus or their attention is somewhere else in the frame. And, and I always find that fascinating. And it's the same thing with, with reading other people's stories on, on trips and motorcycles and all sorts of stuff is, ah, okay, that was important to you. I didn't even notice that. I was paying attention to this aspect of it or that aspect of it. That is pretty interesting. How much, how much direction as far as the editorial content or, or what to include comes from the board and from the club members versus your original ideas? I mean, is that something that's driven by the community or are you putting it out there and then seeing what the response is? Uh, it's a little bit of B, I would say. I mean, it's funny because when I, when I took this, this challenge and I took this job, we, we know where print magazines are going. Right? Yeah. Every month yeah. We, we see another magazine uh, either on the ropes or going to four times a year or going completely digital. Um, and again, going back to my digital background as a digital marketer, I know the power of digital. So my first thoughts were, A, you know, we're published six times a year. We're not going to um, beat anyone to the news punch, right? We're, we, we can't play that game. We can't try to be the, we can't be breaking news in, in a six times a, uh, a year publication, right? Um, but I also know from my marketing background that the majority of, of content that's viewed on the internet is viewed on a phone, right? So most people are viewing, are viewing photos or reading stories um, on a five, five inch screen, six inch screen, maybe seven inch screen. So I took from that knowledge, I said, okay, we've got to make this magazine different. My challenge for on the level is I said, okay, I, I, I took a look at where the word count was. I said, we got to cut the word count and make the photos bigger, right? Because a nice photo on a six inch phone is not going to compete with a 
holding a two page spread of a photo in your hands, right? We've got to, I was like every issue, we've got to have a wow. You've got to turn the page and go, and, and the reader's got to turn the page, the member's got to turn the page and see a beautiful two page photo and go, wow, that's cool. And that's, that's, that's simply an experience you cannot create on a phone. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that was, that was one of the things. And then the, the, the other insight I had was like, I mean, I've been a, I've been a motorcycle magazine subscriber my whole adult life. I was subscribing to motorcycle magazines before I owned a motorcycle. You know, I was just dreaming about them, but the, and, and, and the same thing with cars, I was a car guy too. But the one thing I noticed and I didn't want to repeat was after your first year or second year of subscribing to a magazine, you get the rhythm of that magazine. Oh, it's time for the 400cc Super, Super Sport Comparo. Oh, it's time for the, the, big, the big tour Comparo. Oh, it's time for this. Oh, it's time for that. And I was like, I didn't want to recreate that rhythm. And, and my thinking was uh, in the same way that I wanted everyone, every issue to have a, a, a wow moment where people would open up and go, that's really cool. I also wanted people to open up the mailbox and go, I wonder what's in this issue. I, I wonder... I wonder what they've done now, right? So we have our regular columnists. We have uh, Tamala Rich uh, and, and Neil Bailey and, and Travis Wyman who, who races BMWs and they're great and, and they're always trying new things in, in terms of what they're doing. I have my own column, but everything else is kind of like, let's, let's, let's see what we get. Let's, let's see how we can uh, get people uh, to, open up the mailbox and go, I wonder what's in this issue. So this current issue, the one that you're in, Mike, right? The one that you're in, it's heavy on words, actually. We were getting, for, somehow for this issue, we had long stories, 2,000 plus words. But this next issue, I'll, I'll preview it for you now. This next issue is going to be more pictures, hmm. right? So again, I just want, I just want, uh, each issue to be a little special, a little bit interesting for, for members to, and, and other folks to, to read. Well, what, with you saying that, talking about just, just how the industry is changing, made me start to wonder how, how much is that changing the job of, say, a moral journalist? Uh, do you need to be a better photographer than a writer? Because if the pictures are becoming, like you said, almost like the, the front and center thing, people's uh, attention spans are, are not getting longer. You're almost like, do you need to be a photographer first and a writer second? Well, that's a good question because it's like, I'm a, I'm a little bit of both actually. Um, but I know, I, I think that's pretty unusual. I, some people are either better writers than photographers. Uh, some people are better photographers than writers. I think maybe to add on top of that idea, I, I think it is this, the short attention span. So what we had have been doing until this most recent issue is getting shorter and shorter stories Mm. going from thousand word submissions to cutting those thousand word submissions down to seven, 800 words. You know, we have this great series called first journeys. The idea is we want members to tell stories of their first overnight motorcycle trip. Right. And Mm -hmm. we make it. So it's like um, 300 words. That's all you need. And, and part of the philosophy is if you ask someone who, who isn't a professional writer, if you ask them to write 1,800 words, they might struggle with that. Mm-hmm. But if you yeah. ask them to write 300, A, it, a, it seems, oh, I could do this. And, and B, they end up 
if they write a lot, they end up having to edit their own work, which ends up making it better. The more, the more time you look at it and the more time you massage, the more time you, you cut, the better the result's going to be. And so eliminate, we, eliminate the fluff kind of thing because they're adding words just to, to stretch it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So uh, we had this, I mean, and, and like you were saying, Rob, we ended up with some of these un, unbelievably touching stories. We had this one guy, one member submit a story about how his first uh, trip was a trip with his, with his wife um, and they rode down to Memphis and they, and they saw Graceland and they had a wonderful time. And, and he says, and like he, the way he closes it is just heart wrenching. He goes, my wife passed away several years ago, but I still hold these memories in my heart or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, like, Hey, that's just so uh, feeling and so human and so emotional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have, you don't have to be a professional writer to either express those feelings or to feel those feelings in return. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is what we're going at. And, and part of it is like, as with all motorcycling, uh, we're getting older, the membership's getting older. And I was and part of the thinking was how do I connect the older generation of riders with the prior, with the new generation coming in? Right. And so I was asking these, these, these members, these older members to, to talk about their youth, right. To talk about the innocence of their youth and talk about the mistakes they made on their first trips talk about how they overpacked and how they dropped the bike and all these other things. And like this new generation could totally read that and go, yeah, I know exactly what that feels like because mm-hmm. I'm there mm-hmm. now. Yep. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I have been a BMW rider since way back when all the BMWs were exactly the same except for displacement. And most of the parts fit on every single model BMW as a, as a motorcycle brand has come so far. And I imagine that that's got to present you with some really interesting challenges because through the years, I have certainly noticed that there are people who were absolutely adamant airheads. There is no other BMW except an airhead. And then there were the people that had the K bikes and this, that, and the other thing. And it was, it was very typical. It seemed to me for people to want to put a wall up around their little camp and, and say that this is where BMW ends. And now it's fascinating to look at the, at the product line and realize that we've got an absolute world-class cutting edge sport bike on one end, the 1800 cruiser, which you're going to tell us a little more about later, I hope (laughs) on the other end, and um, in between quite a variety of different models and displacements, et cetera. And I, I'm, I'm curious as to how you juggle all of that with the uh, airheads are the end of it. K-bikes are the end of it. GSs are the end of it. I would never get anywhere near a GT. Who needs six cylinders? <laughs> um, uh, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I have to give a shout out to our Facebook clubhouse which is managed by uh, Jesse Ratterman. She does a great job of keeping the trolls out. The, the trolls who have those kind of discussions ad infinitum, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Ad infinitum. Yeah. Uh, um, and so she does a great job of that. Um, and I will say the magazine, I mean, we do, we do the biker views uh, and we do this, we do the GS stories, we do the travel stories and so forth, but I'm, Maybe because it's my my beginnings and my roots with Roadrunner, right? They've Roadrunner has always said it's not it's not about the bike, it's about the trip, 
right? It's, a, it's about yeah. the journey. And so I think I've kind of taken that to heart. And the fact that I've taken all these trips and all these, and all these different bikes, I, I, I lost count. I've probably, I've probably ridden close to 100 press bikes by now. Right. And I have I have my favorites, but the, the story is always about the trip, the, play, the, 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 the things I see and the people I meet. I think I'm trying to um, elicit that kind of those kind of stories uh, from the members and contributors as well. I mean, if you make a great point about about BMW, though, Rob, and I was just I mean, I, I just I've spent 500 miles on this R18 and I've been thinking about how to how to process not only the bike itself, but like the fact that they came out with this huge cruiser, right? This 1800 CC cruiser. And one of the, one of the thoughts that's been sticking in my mind and I'm like, I thought to myself and I, it's not fully formed yet, but the idea that like in 1980, all the major motorcycle brands were associated with a specific engine format, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Hondas were fours. Uh, Harley were V twins, yeah. right? Every, triumphs were triples. Every, uh, maybe not then, not until not until uh, not John uh, Bloor, Bloor yeah. but John. But but most of the manufacturers had a f- uh, engine format that they specialized in, mm-hmm. right? Fast forward to 2020, Ducati still primarily V twins. Harley Davidson is is primarily is primarily V twins. Triumph is primarily triples. The Japanese are still associated with inline fours primarily, although twins are in, in, in suffer making a, a thing. But I think BMW more than any other brand has been able to break out of the single engine configuration mode in terms of what their product line is um, and, in, and in terms of what they're known for. Like you're right, the, the, the S1000RRs, I mean, that blew the doors off everyone. No one expected that. And it, it was fascinating because I was a sport bike guy in the early 2000s. And like I always I was riding Japanese sport bikes and, and loved them and everything. And I always looked at the BMW efforts of that era. You know, they were trying to make this big bo- the, the boxer work. And it was I mean, I was younger back then, so it didn't appeal to me. But I was like, it was a, it's a nice try. But like when you're a sport bike guy, you're, you're worried about weight and you're worried about horsepower. Every, yeah, the, yeah. The mo- and the moment you don't meet those two criteria, you're, you're not even in the discussion. Yeah. Um, but like, and then that th- double R comes out and I'm like, holy cow, I can't believe they did that. So I'm kind of think I'm, I'm, I'm still forming my thoughts about the R18, but I think this R18 may be BMW's most important bike since the double R. So, so with that kind of in mind, you know, I was thinking, a question for both of you. Is there something different about BMW as a brand? You know, Harley has their persona kind of thing. There's something about Harley and we can probably pin it down to a few different things. Does BMW have something like that compared to just being a fan of Honda or Kawasaki or whatever brand it is you like? Do you think, do you think BMW has a certain something that makes it, yeah, it's its own thing? Yes, back in the old days, particularly today in modern times, no. That's what makes it really interesting. That's that's kind of where the question came from. Going back 25 years ago, a BMW was a very specific type of bike. It's the bike that you get on and ride the entire length of the continent. It's a bike that you're never going to have problems with. It's a bike that's going to be dependable. It's going to be comfortable that you can customize however you want to. And they're all kind of the same. 
depending on the customizations, but they were really similar. And now we've got such a variety of bikes and BMW isn't simply copying things from a marketing standpoint, they're doing things their own way. I mean, when they came up with a big touring bike with the 1600 GT, they didn't come up with a four cylinder, they came up with an inline six. Who does that? I mean, who, who, who makes an inline six? It's quite an incredible machine. It's big, it's not my style, but it certainly is an effective competition for full dress Harleys, for the Goldwings, et cetera, et cetera, but it's done in a very different way. So, so now you've got a situation where there isn't any single, in my opinion, there isn't any single, this is BMW, other than maybe the take that they're putting on it, which is we are simply the most technologically advanced company in the motorcycle industry trying to push new things forward with advanced ABS, with um, better traction control, better electronics, et cetera, et cetera. That's the one thing that seems to be high on their agenda. But the motorcycle lineup is so incredibly diverse that, uh, and, and if you look at it and across the board, there are saddlebags on almost all of them. So these are bikes that are actually still intended to be used and ridden some distance and, and that people are supposed to get on and go do something with, not simply hang out, with the exception of the 1000RR, which goes around in little circles really, 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 really fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. It's almost in a circle. You've maybe talked yourself into, yeah, yeah, there is a persona to it. It's changed. But uh, what do you think, John? Um. I mean, you, you hit a you've hit a, a part of, a, a bunch of good points there, Rob. I think, um, again, the Harley riders have their persona. I think the I think there's an aspect to the BMW rider that still um, there's a seriousness to the pursuit, whether it's adventure riding or whether it's sport bike riding. Um, it's a luck. It's a luxury brand, right? So. Yeah people people aspire to it i hear it all the time we're like i interviewed someone and they said well i um i did this i did that i finally was doing well and it was time to get a european bike so when people think of european bikes like like bmws it's like i've arrived kind of mm -hmm. thing it's a reward mm -hmm. for for having for having achieved a personal goal or whatever but it, it it is it is amazing they have they have thumpers they have the only thing they're missing is a triple and a, yeah. and a five-cylinder, and no one has a five-cylinder. <laughs> no one's doing that anymore. Uh, personally, I, 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 when I'm thinking BMW, I just think they're maybe, maybe their niche or their personality is just functionality. Uh, kind of like you were saying, Rob, there, there's bags on pretty much every bike they have. And so you can use this bike, and that's why I really like it. I'm a very practical person in that I don't mind. I used to have a Corvette. Love my Corvette. My, my Corvette, I could drive across country we had room for our luggage you could take the car to attract track day and and compete with just about anybody they're very functional cars and that's what i think about with my gs or most of the bmws is i can get on this motorcycle and i can go down a dirt road i can go down interstate I, I can do pretty much anything with it i can chase some sport bikes down a mountain pass this thing just plain simply works it's got some lumps and bumps and some weird places and they're probably fairly functional you finally got rid of the uh, extra turn single switch or two, which is great. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, they, they work. And yeah. I, when I think of them, I guess that's what I think of maybe is their kind of personality 
this bike maybe isn't the most this or best that, and sometimes they are, but they will work. You can drive this to work or you can drive it across the country or you can drive it across uh, uh, the, the desert kind of thing, you know, and it's going to work for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I, the, in contrast with uh, Harley Davidson, they are a lifestyle brand. Yeah. Right. Uh, BMW takes it a little bit differently. We, I was at the virtual press intro for the R18 and Gerard Stocker, I believe his name was one of the design guys. He was, he was talking about the design process. He was talking about the design process for the R9 T right. The R9 T you could argue was BMW Motorhead's second kind of retro inspired bike or you know, the first one being the R1200C um, and then the R9T. So he, he, he recalls uh, discussions happening at BMW where they were proposing this boxer-engined, uh, naked, standard bike. There was feedback within BMW that was basically saying, well, we already have the R1200R. From a specification standpoint, they had that already. But there's a group within BMW now that's saying that's maybe maybe pulling some of this inspiration from uh, the popularity of retro bikes and the the passion that people have for Harley Davidson. They're saying there's an emotional aspect too that we need to touch on, and so they pitched the R9T, saying, you know, this is a different bike than the 1200R. 1200R is a a very uh, capable and technically uh, function highly functional bike, but the R9T they it attempts to like stir something else mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure yeah it's more of the stylist kind of thing made me made me think what you're saying is that you know if you look at ferrari ferrari's a race company that sells cars uh harley davidson's a t-shirt company that sells bikes. <laughs> and being mike, there, that might might be uh, nice, that <laughs> nice. <laughs> but well if you look at uh, 30 or 40 percent of their sale their income is generated by by accessories a lot of it being t-shirts nothing against that good for them i wish bmw and a few other companies would do the same thing you go into a, into a bmw morris motorcycle shop and want to buy a t-shirt and there there'd be three on the rack <laughs> i don't i don't i don't understand why that is you'd think they'd want you wearing their stuff but yeah, harley davidson's totally got the licensing thing whereas it seems like most other companies have not I'm, I'm, i don't know why that's so difficult for them but yeah, yeah, for sure. Again, I'm 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 working on my story for the R18, and I'm thinking about the evolution from the R1200C to the R9T to the R18. Like in the for, in the way I'm looking at it now, the R1200C was their attempt at making a cruiser, but a hundred percent the BMW way. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's the way to do it. Do it in your own in your own style, which has been in the previous years what the uh, Japanese have been kind of uh, accused of or whatever, copying Harley Davidson. Mm -hmm. You couldn't say that about, yeah, the the BMW bike. They're not copying anybody. They're doing their own thing. Yeah. But it is, I mean, I think they wanted that bike to be big. They had it in the James Bond movie, crying out loud, right? They Hmm. they really wanted a hit there. And I don't think it quite hit hit their sales goals. No, Um, no, it didn't at all in Europe or over over here. yeah, I mean, and, and again, I mean, I know people who, who have them and love them. They're highly functional, but it doesn't stir. I don't think it stirs the soul in the way that a sportster does, for example. No, right? no. I've, I've often said that you, to me, you, you buy a car with your head, you buy a motorcycle with your heart. 
And yeah. Probably not a lot of people, like you said, stirred by a, a 1200 LC. And like that telelever, as functional as it is, you know, you can't get a Harley guy to look at that telelever and go, oh, I, I understand the, the, the engineering behind it and I appreciate it. They're like, <laughs> you're just no, not no, going to. You're talking about a market where the, the motorcycle is almost designed not to handle and the, every, every accessory they bolt on makes it worse, uh, but they love it. So, uh, which whatever they're good for them <laughs> so so you can uh, you can't enter logic and performance into these conversations because that's not their concern yeah yeah and 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 on this r18 it's like i i did five i've done 500 miles on it so far and i'm thinking to myself okay what are which of my criticisms are criticisms of the bike and which are criticisms of the category you yeah, know yeah. i'm dragging the foot pegs that's not really the bike's fault. That's the category. That's the that's because <laughs> yeah, yeah. because you've defined the category to be long and low and yeah. and all of those things. So the foot pegs drag and on all of them, mm -hmm. right? And if you had been coming from from another V twin cruiser, you would be used to it, and it wouldn't be a surprise, and you wouldn't be leaning over that far in the first place. Yeah. And there yeah. is an inter the interesting dilemma of coming from anything else and saying, "This is how I ride." There was a fascinating article I read a few years ago, and I don't remember the publication, but I certainly remember the, the idea, which was, I just went out and took a press ride on XYZ sport bike, and they handed it to me for two weeks, and so I brought it back home and went down my very favorite road on this thing. Oh, it was, it was a, cru a cruiser magazine, and, and, and so, but the, the, author had been given a sport bike at another press release and he took this thing home and wrote it down his favorite road and his, the the point of the article was you just ruined my favorite road because i can do this effortlessly on this motorcycle a hundred percent faster than i've ever ridden it in the past on my cruisers and i used to have a lot of fun and visceral reaction <laughs> to going down this particular road on those motorcycles and now i realize how completely non-impressive it is so you've ruined it for me and you know it's an interesting perspective though because if you have only ever ridden a motorcycle that only leans over 18 degrees and that's the maximum then your take on that r18 would be very different than if you had been riding around on something that's got relatively unlimited ground clearance for the last 10 years yeah As a friend of mine would say i'd, I'd rather ride a slow bike that felt fast as opposed to a fast bike that felt slow. Because <laughs> one I mean, gets you in way more trouble. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, but there's, there's a whole group of motorcyclists out there that aren't interested in pushing their own performance envelopes. Yeah, they just right. want to go, they just want to go for a ride. I did not stand, understand Harley Davidson's until I uh, did a story for Roadrunner, Roadrunner magazine. Um, I was, I went out to Kansas for a week eating barbecue and they and they gave me a heritage <laughs> i know tough tough life they, they gave me a heritage soft tail classic to ride sometime during the trip i was literally on a road that was straight for 30 miles and it was 98 degrees and i thought to myself whether i was i could have been a, on a ducati trying to drill these 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 30 miles as quickly as possible it would have been terrible right i might have gotten there five yeah. minutes faster but it would have been straight for 30 miles and my back would have been killing me yeah. or i could just 
lean back on the heritage soft tail and toot along at 60 miles an hour, slow enough that I could look around um, and, see, and see the countryside. And I was like, oh, that's what this bike is about. It's not about lean angles. It's about just like cruising around. And I, I kind of I get it. It's not, the, it's not the kind of riding I typically do, um, but I kind of understand why people do it. No, for that's, sure. That's, I've, I've the roads and the speed limits and everything else in America are very, very much in tune with that sort of riding. Yeah. I've ridden more than a few cruisers, and it's exactly that. Like you said, it's not the riding I'm interested in, but I totally get it that you need to pound out some miles or just you, you like the scenery on this, these roads, and you, you, you're not interested in challenging yourself at every corner. If you want to get on the bike, feel some air, take it easy. And those are great bikes for doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right on. Good for you. <laughs> it's yeah. not what I want, but it doesn't matter what I want. It's it's what you want. You own the bike. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my my first day on the R18, I was just like trying to hooligan it, right? I was just <laughs> getting on it the whole time. I was seeing how fast I can go on a highway. I was like getting into the tuck as much as I could. And then, it, and then I, I rode down to DC with it, doing that a lot of the way. And I was like, this is actually terrible. <laughs> um, and this is not what this bike was built for. So I've got a, and this is what, this is what most people won't be using the bike for anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as in order to give this thing a fair review, I've got to try to use it the way it was, it was meant to be used. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been riding it all chilled out ever since, which is a shame because that motor is that, that motor is a peach. It really does like to rev and it's got power all throughout the rev band and it just, it just feels and sounds great when you do it, but the, the rest of the bike isn't built for that. And many, many, many riders, as you mentioned, are not at all interested in that. So uh, I hope that they hit a home run with it. That would be, that would be really cool to see a bunch of our 18s out on the road. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, in the, and they talked about, they used the word family repeatedly at the press intro. Just so, just like the R9 T I can imagine this R18 first edition uh, spawning a whole bunch of different variants and mm -hmm. variations throughout the line. So it'll be interesting. And I would imagine that that's a motorcycle that was built very much with a focus on, on the North American market. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they call that, they call that um, an acquisition bike, meaning they hope that most of the people that buy the bikes aren't current BMW owners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. That they're they're coming from other they're coming from other brands, mm -hmm. and it's I mean it 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 it's a in the person in the flesh it's a beautiful beautiful bike, it really does have a, a presence to it, and I and even when riding it I still look down and look at those giant fins on those giant heads and go holy cow this thing is huge. <laughs> well, you've got uh, plans I'm sure to head off to some Harley gathering place or meet or something and pull in on your. R18 to see how it's received. I would hope so. As I was an investigative, to. as an investigative journalist, <laughs> that certainly should be high <laughs> on your list of things to do. You're you're a hundred percent right. But we're in the season of COVID. There was a there the was the bikers a, are still going uh, out. They're, they're still yeah. riding. Well, there 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 were two things I was hoping to do. One, there was a there was a poker run uh, that I've been to and I've photographed in the past, and it's typically a couple hundred bikes. 99% of them Harleys. I was hoping to go to the poker run. The poker run's been canceled. And this weekend is supposed to be the, um, the distinguished gentleman's ride. 
right? Which is more cafe racer style and stuff like yeah. that. Um, but th that's been canceled. It's all vert. It's all like solo rides now. So I'm gonna. I am gonna have to find a bike night somewhere and wear a mask and uh, mm -hmm. and see and see what people think. But um, I, everyone that has seen it and and knows motorcycles are like, wow, that's nice. Interesting. Uh, I, I've not seen one live, but um, I admit that when I when I saw the first photos of it, I visually was far more attracted to it than I was to the 1200C. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. it, 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 it doesn't look like uh, we've got this motor and we're going to try to turn it into a cruiser. It, it looks a little bit more like we're going to try to build a really cool cruiser. And they, and they have, they, they really have, it, it really does have a street presence to it. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful bike. And so hopefully, hopefully, like I was in DC and I was, I rode by, um, um, some DC cops who were on the side of the road with their Harleys and I saw their next crate <laughs> as I went fast. <laughs> but, but the interesting thing, and, and other people have mentioned it, and, and I've noticed it riding, it actually, the motor is actually pretty docile uh, when you're at idle uh, and when you're at very uh, partial throttle openings. It really doesn't make a lot of noise um out of the box that way it's only when you really really get on it does it start to growl at you so i would imagine there's a there's going to be a group of people that like that exhaust note um even at idle they want to annoy their neighbors at idle and so they're gonna uh there'll be aftermarket pipes for sure interesting speaking of that it's just funny it's like how much of the sound of a cruiser do you think affects the sales it's like how much of that annoy your neighbor or attract the attention um people should check out south park uh, for that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> i know that episode no, i love that that's great one. um uh, how much do you think that affects the sales it just that that hey look at me factor i think i think it affects it a lot i mean i mean i i bet you the aftermarket pipes for the bmw are going to have a lot of sound to them um i believe they've actually designed the motor to shake at idle Hmm. So when you're on that thing at a traffic light or when you start that thing, you've got to hold on tight because that thing's like, because you got 900 CC pistons each, each battling. Right. So yeah. um, that's, I think they really spent time thinking about that visceral experience, right? It's not really just about making the most efficient cruiser. It's really about creating this, this visceral experience that people can really appreciate. And so when you start that thing up and when you're at idle, it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's really substantial. It's pretty cool. Well, because you even look at the, say the Triumph Rocket three, how much of the sales are, are linked to just someone, uh, maybe not linked is the right word, but someone buying it simply because it's the biggest motor. I'm buying this motorcycle because it's the two point, were they 2.3, 2.2, like, I don't remember. But yeah, I'm, I'm, well, what's the biggest one you got? Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> so then <laughs> I, I can tell people this is what I got. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll probably never use it because I've never ridden one, but I can't imagine they handle it terribly well. But uh, they'll, they get up and go uh, very well. <laughs> It, like so, sounds a funny thing because um, in 2016 was it now 2016 I rode cross country on a zero electric motorcycle. Oh yeah, yeah. I like good sounding uh, exhaust and good sounding intakes. I've always said that like Kawasaki's um, their intake growl is like nice. It's like mm -hmm. it's like angry when you when you rev a Kawasaki anywhere from their little Versus 650 to their 
to their big cruisers. They, they have that going for them. But I was on this zero and I didn't miss, I didn't miss the sound at all, to be honest hmm. with you. Hmm. That's that's uh, really interesting. Yeah, that it's when because even when you're riding, like if you're at a racetrack, you wonder how much that affects someone riding and that the sound of the motorcycle when you're downshifting on the gear, the sound of the motorcycle, you you would know I'm in roughly the RPM that I want to be going to the oh. turn. I know what the bike is doing, but if it's giving you, it's a it's a it's a bit of feedback. It's a form of feedback. But if well, it's not giving you that, how does that affect you? Well, it, it's interesting because I had that zero DSR in the in the Santa Cruz mountains, and it was an amazingly capable tool on a twisty road because mm-hmm. there's only one gear, it's only yeah. one speed. Yeah, and and you and the the noise you can see the noise as a distraction almost, so you can go into a turn and not have to worry about your revs, not hurt, not to hurry worry about downshifting. Just worry about your breaking point and your turning point. And then once, once you see that, once you see the exit path open up, just roll that thing on and the, and the torque's there. You're never in the wrong part of the power. Band. Yeah. So the, the noise, the, the noise you're getting on the exhaust is telling you you're in the right RPM of the right gear, but in that electric motorcycle, that's, that's not a concern. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're always in the right gear. Yeah. You're always, you're always <laughs> in the, the heart of the, the torque curve kind of thing. So it's like, so I would, I mean, I remember testing my first uh, zero in in Manhattan, and like being at a traffic light. And normally, like there's so much noise in the city, but it was a relatively quiet street. So I was at a traffic light on the zero, and there was a tree with birds chirping nearby. <laughs> I was like, really? And then I would I would like I, I would get on it at at the light, and it had that whine sound. Yeah. It sounded like something from from Star Wars. It sounded like the future. It was it was very very cool. That <laughs> sounded like the future. You might be right on that. You <laughs> really might be right. Interesting. Well, you mentioned that the riders are getting older. The baby boomers certainly are, um, and aging out in some cases. And the markets are changing. Um, what do you see on the horizon that's going to get new riders involved? What do you think is going to draw the young people into motorcycling, if anything. If any, I was just talking about this the other day, the, the idea that all these activities and hobbies that the boomers brought into, into the world, water skiing, snow skiing, all these other, um, cycling even, they've all seen a decline just from a, de- a demographic decline. Just because the next, the, the subsequent generations aren't well, aren't. Yeah, I know around here, uh, golf courses, um, <laughs> so the the hockey programs, because of course Canada, everybody, <laughs> a lot of us play hockey. Those programs are also a major decline. Yeah, major. Yeah, baseball major decline here here in the U.S. I, to be honest with you, I I don't know how, what you can what you can do, but I I think this this COVID nineteen is. Again, this, this boom in bike sales is interesting. Like everyone's riding a bike now, right? You can't buy a bicycle. Um, I volunteered at a place that would rehab old bikes and, and sell and give the profits to a, a boys and girls club. And like, they ran out of bikes because hmm. everyone, everyone was on a bike. So who knows when we come out of this, are we gonna generate a new, a new, a new cycling boom? And if we do, can we get some of those cyclists to eventually want to be under power? 
to eventually want to throttle. And that throttle and, and that throttle could start with an e-bike, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that mm-hmm. throttle could be, or a pedal-assisted e-bike. I know, I know some motorcyclists that have those pedal-assisted e-bikes or those throttle e-bikes, and, and they love them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that might be that might be the pathway for this next generation to have them to come in, come in through bikes and come in through e-bikes and eventually graduate to a larger, uh, a, a motorcycle, whether it, it be gas or electric. That's what I I'm. I suppose hoping. we the motorcycling, the way we know it now, hasn't been been around that long. And that is this just a normal cycle, and that it, it peaks there. Everybody's into it, and then it wanes, and then eh, they're on to whatever it is they're on to. And that'll change 15, 20, 30, hopefully not 50 years from, from now. But uh, it starts picking up again. And all it takes is something like the vid hitting everybody, and hey, then this is actually pretty cool. Let's start doing this again, and other sports possibly too. Uh, course well, well we can tell you 50 years from now that's yeah it. yeah yeah exactly i mean we also we also have to before this hit and i was i was thinking about this question and it was like the the, the thing that's changed not just demographically from 40 years ago from the 70s the heyday of the 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 first motorcycle boom um the thing that's changed is our built environment right mm-hmm. i mean the the roads are so much more crowded these days. Our, I mean, the, our country's population is probably 100 million more people. The suburbs have, have exploded out into exurbs. And so you could be in the middle of nowhere approaching a, a small town or a small city and get stuck in gridlock and get stuck, get stuck in traffic. Not only that, but, but we've become safer. We've tried to become safer drivers. Uh, and part of that has been just like belting our kids into minivans. Right. So the, the idea, like we're talking about a generation of, of kids that have grown up in car seats, in minivans, stuck in traffic, going to soccer practice. There's no romance in that motion. <laughs> There's no romance in that movement. When we were younger, two wheels and four wheels were freedom. Right. Yeah. We would oh, get away God. from our parents. We would get away and hang yeah. out with our friends. They're doing that at 12 with their phones already. Well, we were talking about that the other day. Hmm. In high school, if you had a car, man, you were something. Because nobody had a car in high school. Whereas yeah. now, uh, they, they, the, the parking lots for the students is twice the size for, for the teachers. Because every second student has their own car. Yeah, yeah. But like, like the kids, kids escape from their parents the moment they got their, smart, their phone and got on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. And got on TikTok. <laughs> Because yeah. they're doing things that their parents know, don't know what they're doing. There was a great study I read years ago when, when as, as I was studying marketing, was that uh, they studied kids who hung out for an evening uh, with a variety of friends. They were friends that they were h- hanging out with in person and that there were also friends that they were texting with and, and doing stuff on social media with. At the end of the evening, these kids didn't distinguish between real hanging out with friends for real and hanging out with mm. friends virtually. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was the same thing to them. It was fascinating. So, I mean, video games are cool and all that, but there is still something special about being on two wheels and counter steering into a turn. Oh yeah, that, that <laughs> absolutely. That absolutely. You, that you cannot <laughs> yet recreate. So if we could just get that feel uh, into kids and get that bug into kids. I know there are groups out there. There's one group led by uh, uh, Robert Pandya. He's doing some great stuff uh, at the IMS shows where they have the demo bikes and they have the, 
the zero bikes and people who have never ridden before can try out the e-bikes and try mm -hmm. out the zeros just to get their feet wet kind of thing. It's, it's those kind of programs I think we need to just get people to get, get people to really feel that joy of leaning into a turn. Well, that, mm -hmm. and I know, I don't know about, all I know is the area where I live is insurance. And for someone like myself, I can get insurance for motorcycles fairly cheap. Um, my KTM, um, $400 for a year. It's, it's street legal. My BMW, I pay a thousand, I think it's about a thousand dollars. Um, but for many uh, young people, uh, for a motorcycle, it can be three or $4,000 for a motorcycle. A motorcycle worth $6,000, especially the sport bikes. And it's really killed the market. And I don't know what you do about that. I would almost think that has to be up to the manufacturers to put pressure on governments. And I remember years ago, I think it was Yamaha had a program. They they could get you insurance. They were selling insurance through, through themselves somehow, however they made it. But that seems to be a, be a big impediment for a lot of people, especially for motorcycles, a car, especially here, you can argue, yes, I need my car because I need to get to wherever I need to be, but a motorcycle, no, it's, it's a luxury item. And I know people have gotten out of it because I'm not giving them $1,500 a year for this motorcycle. I'm only riding a bit to hell with them. Yeah, I mean, speaking about like economics, I mean, it's, it's hard. You know, you're talking about a generation that's graduating, graduating with all this college debt, mm -hmm. right? And and how are they going to afford a, a motorcycle within within the context of all of that? So Whereas when, when the motorcycles got a, a really popular at the time, it's like, yeah, you could buy a bike cheap, but you could also insurance cheap because you can still buy a cheap motorcycle. But if they want yeah. $3,000 a year for insurance. Well, that's, that's, that's unique to you guys up in the Great White North and your situation in Canada, because if you're only insuring a motorcycle for liability in New York, it's not expensive. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I'm spending $300 for six motorcycles that are in the garage. Yeah, but that's all, all insured. What, what if you were 16 or 17? Liability only, it's the same. Uh -huh. It's when you start to get into the collision that it turns into literally the cost of the motorcycle because mm -hmm. the insurance company looks at it and said, 17-year-old kid, 600 sport bike, three months. Three months and we'll be buying that bike, you know, and, and, and fortunately the statistics um, run right in line with that. So, so that's the scenario there. Cheap yeah, bikes. Us, it's because our, it's it, uh, kind of a weird situation here in, in Canada. We have socialized uh, medical care, right? But not when it comes to your vehicle. It's a little bit weird in that if you get, if I've, fall off my deck and go to the hospital it's through my normal medical care but if i get in a car accident it goes through my car insurance it gets the way recouping costs mm -hmm. so they do the same thing with the motorcycles your insurance a little bit more because they they're paying for your medical care through your motorcycle insurance or, and or vehicle whatever vehicle you're in and so that's part of your costs or through that. Okay. Which is a deal compared to you guys. <laughs> but, yeah. What, what, I mean, if, 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 if I was getting a summer's <laughs> worth of medical insurance for $2,000 and my bike insurance on top yeah. of it, <laughs> sign me up, man. Sign me up. What, hap <laughs> what happens if you ride your bike off the deck? Is that <laughs> what happens then? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to, uh, I might have to try that. <laughs> So I've been I've been lucky enough to to meet some of the next generation of riders and it and it gives me hope. There's a guy in Brooklyn that has a e that has a zine a zine 
like this low quality magazine that he publishes and he's got a riding crew out in Brooklyn. A couple years ago, I went to a bike night in Manhattan uh, and it was all younger, it was all younger folk on all sorts of bikes. You know, there was this, there was this guy that had come from Nebraska on a Honda, uh, the 700 NX. He was basically riding to all the places in the song, I've been, the Johnny Cash song, I've Been Everywhere. I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere. <laughs> so he was just riding everywhere. There was a there was a couple where he was on a, a KLR and she was on a little Yamaha two uh, Yamaha two fifty and stuff hmm. like that. So so they're out there. They some of them do catch the bug. I think we just got to expose more people to the speak in in the era of COVID. We've got to expose more people to the bug. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and and the the, the important part. I suppose when you really come right back around to it all is, is the thing that you're actually doing with the magazine. And that is putting the experiences out there and putting the, putting the human, the human pluses to it. Mm -hmm. um, because that's something that with motorcycles, if you've not been there, you can't relate to, you can't relate to it until you've had that magic moment whether it's a magic moment with somebody that you just met because you're on a bike, the magic moment of someplace you are that you wouldn't have been otherwise, uh, how you feel at that point, you know, that's, that's where the hook is set and Hey, I've got to do this again and again and again and again. So gee, look at that. And in addition to all of your digital marketing and everything else, you're there in the forefront of Indirectly pushing motorcycles to the next generation. Good on you, John. <laughs> I am trying. I am trying. We all got to do our part, right? I mean, it's funny because you go to the you go to the IMS show and you go to the the BMW booth, and it's a it's it's very interesting that BMW chooses to put at the very front of the booth. You got to look at the bikes they put there. They typically put the R9Ts and the 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 310s. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Because they, they're trying to get that next generation of riders. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, and it's so funny because when you look around the booth, the those two those two bikes, they have 20 and 30 somethings by them. The GSs are in the four corner. They have 50 somethings by them. And the other bikes have older older riders by them too. The the mm -hmm. demographic breakdown is right there when you when you look at it. Mm -hmm. So speaking of that IMS, John, do you, so what do you think of motorcycle shows and or car car shows so they're very similar or is that also is that a dying thing or is it underutilized i i think it's underutilized myself but uh, that's that's hard because from the marketing standpoint you look a marketing department looks at how much money those things cost uh versus how many people they touch mm -hmm. and 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 what kind of brand impact they have yeah. versus versus uh other things but but and, that's uh, that would be my argument Ver, but versus what because what what is what is working better than that you have a target audience entering your building obviously they're interested as opposed to a tv ad or uh, a newspaper ad that people may or may not even pay any bloody attention to especially the day of pprs and short attention spans mm -hmm. you have people coming to you so they obviously give at least a half a shit yeah and, and you're going to ignore them or you're not going to support this. So sorry, I cut you off, but so is this not a well, good venue? Well, I mean, what, what, I mean, one of the reasons why 
magazines are struggling right now is that marketers have figured out that they no longer need the magazines to reach their consumers. When you, you, look, at, you look at Red Bull, for example, mm. I don't think they spend a dime on advertising. No, no. They spend oh. all their money. They spend all their money on organizing these events and, and creating these awesome videos. Which is, some, which is indirect advertising because they- yeah, But they're, they're, not pay, they're not paying magazines, they're not paying televisions, they're not paying anyone. For no, the, but they're, they're for paying the, marketers for, yes. to have their own channel. And I mean, that's not free, right? But they've, they've, but. They've, yeah, you're right, but they've skipped the gatekeepers though. Yeah. They've skipped the, the magazines, they've skipped the television uh, studios and television companies, and they're going straight to the consumer with, mm-hmm. the, with their message, yeah. you know? so they're starting to realize, you know what, we, I don't need to spend all this money to pay for full page ads and all these print magazines, which now have an older demographic. And I want the younger generation. I'm going to create this hot. I'm going to have Danny McCaskill uh, trial bicycle trials rider do this awesome 20 minute video about him riding, riding in Scotland and put that on YouTube and it's going to blow up kind of thing. Of course, they're the poster child there of how to do it. Yeah. And there's a thousand who are probably failing at that terribly. <laughs> yeah. But more, but more and more, more and more companies are trying their hand at that. They're going directly to the consumer. It's no longer Ogilvy on advertising. It's no longer here's a man in a Hathaway shirt kind of thing. And here are the, the five qualities of the Hathaway shirt that make you want to buy it. It's like, here's an inspiring story. Oh, it just happens to be sponsored by Audi. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's 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 fascinating because it's 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 been changed. The industry since I've been in has changed dramatically, and and so it's so I've seen how the changes in advertising are affecting the changes in publishing. Uh, I've got a unique perspective on that because I have a foot in either in in either uh, in either circle. Mm-hmm. But it just still seems like a little bit underutilized, and they're not. Re- placing it I, um, I don't know I, I guess think, that's my perspective I, I think I, I think in a, in a way you're right I think it would be neat to see them rethink what a, a IMS show is possibly mm. is it more of a is it more of a festival right is it more of a of a I mean the, the way I would do it if I was if I was running it I would tell I am I would I, I, I would say okay hire a bunch of 20 year olds to try to get other 20 year olds to come. Cause there's no way, a, there's no way a 40 or a 50 something is going to have their finger on the pulse of what's, of what's going to drive, what's going to drive that next generation in. And I think yeah, not for the next generation. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I don't know what kind of costs are involved, but I, um, for the, for the people organizing this, but I hear the costs involved. If you want to get involved, if you want to advertise or lots, right? Lots of cash. And maybe that has to be readjusted. And I don't know if they can, if it just costs so much money to rent the venues and these are fixed costs and they're really not making much money off it. I, I have no idea if profits are made or not, but maybe everybody has to take a second look. Look, you've got this huge convention center. Either you're going to rent it to us for X amount of dollars or we can't keep coming here because we can't justify spending this much money. And maybe everybody has to readjust a bit here. Like if you, if I want John Flores to open up a booth or beaches, motorcycles to open up a booth here, they can't give you X amount of dollars. Everyone, everyone's got to take, take a hit here or, or your convention center can sit empty. You yeah. Know. I mean, well, yeah. 
the um, the IMS show in New York gets smaller and smaller every year because because mm-hmm. every year people who are who, people who used to get ten by ten booths or ten by twenty booths are making the decision. They're looking at the hard dollars and saying we didn't get our money's worth out of it. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's it's really really tough unless you're actually selling gun holsters right there or you know, leather <laughs> bikinis or or something. something and and you can and you can compare your yeah. pocket when you walk out of there versus when you came in there it's really a tough call i was i was um, at a, yeah i was at americade a couple of years ago i was for roadrunner and right across the right across the the way was that the guys that will clean your eyeglasses for you and then sell you the spray yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're at they're at every every yeah. show mm-hmm. and and they had they must have had four or five people just working it and i was mm-hmm. like how do they how do they make the money work at the end of the day but i guess they they have it figured out somehow yeah yep yeah, yep yeah, they do they do so Oh man! But anyway, that's all advertising in the big picture, and here we are thinking about BMW and the BMW RA and the wonderful group that is there and that club. What do you miss the most under COVID of changes within the RA this year? Uh, I miss the rally. I mean, to be honest with you, it's really cool to meet the members and to just hang out. I mean, last year's rally was great. We had a neat theme, the Woodstock theme. So we had 60s music playing all around the place and stuff like that. And people really got into it. And I miss, I miss meeting, I miss meeting the members because like I'm doing this, I'm, I get, I get judged by them at the end of the day, right? Am I, am I representing mm-hmm. them well? Am I, am I telling their story? Am I making them proud of the, of on the level and stuff like that? And so I like, I like hearing from them and, and getting their feedback. So I, I definitely miss that. I mean, this is season of COVID. I haven't been able to get as many press bikes. I know it's a very sad story for me. Well, just keep riding the ones you've got. Just ride them more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. They but all BM- become long-termers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, BM- BMW Motorrad USA's offices are here in New Jersey, and they've been uh, working remotely since probably March because they were in the, near the epicenter uh, just outside of New York. Where, mm-hmm. where everything was mm-hmm. hit it. So they were, sh- they've been shut down the whole time. So that's, that's been, that's been bad. But like, I mean, I, like kind of what we were talking about earlier, Rob, it's, it's how do we stay connected with the members when there are no rallies? Like, how do we stay, stay all together? And, and, and we have, a, we have a Facebook clubhouse, which is, which is very active and we have a lot of good, good contributions and fun there, but nothing, nothing beats, being in person and going to the rallies and meeting and meeting other folks mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. riding with other folks. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, that's what the sport's all about from, from the point of view of a lot of folk, myself included, that, that is the downside to all of this, but eventually, hopefully it will be behind us and we're going to look back at where we were and look ahead at the new world that's going to be sitting there for us. And, you know, Mike, you're talking about the changes in the IMS show and this could happen, that could happen, should happen. I guarantee you that 18 months from now, you're going to see a lot of things that don't look the same as they did 18 months ago. Um, there's, there are a lot of changes that are about to pop up and I'm, who knows what they are, but uh, just the simple idea that big gatherings are something that people would be potentially shying away from just in general, because yeah. there's this vestige of big gatherings are not places I really want to be sitting in their mind from 18 months ago. 
you know, there's, and we don't have any idea how that's going to fall out at this point. So things are going to change. They're no, definitely sure. going to change. And I think that rather than sit back and worry about all this, because none of the three of us, well, actually, Mike, you and I aren't going to make another nickel in our life or have any less stress if we have all of that information. John needs to know that because that's his <laughs> career and everything else. But we can just drink beer and ride motorcycles. <laughs> we'll wave at you when we go by, John. Nice, and, uh, thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we, we have to ride motorcycles and drink beer. You said it the other way around. Oh, uh, yep, yep, yep. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Ride motorcycles to someplace good to drink beer and stay there. Yeah, there exactly. You yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, lightning round. You know how it works. Uh, uh, radio or TV commercial? TV. Burger or pizza? Pizza. Digital or film? Digital. RT or RS? RS. GS or RT? GS. Biggest advertising pet peeve? Please stand by. Sphinx cat, yes or no? The hairless cat. Oh, totally. Yeah, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Have you watched Mad Men? No. Moto GP or World Superbike? Uh, MotoGP. Place you would like to travel to that you have not? Africa or so, Nepal. So last question. Uh, what's your favorite motorcycle podcast? Well, I've been listening to motorcycle podcasts since the 1920s. And I've got to tell you that my favorite is Beaches Motorcycles Adventures podcast. <laughs> well, that's, we appreciate that. That's super cool. Oh, this, is, uh, this has been a blast. I really enjoyed this. This has been great, guys. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for joining us and giving us some insight into uh, the world from both the BMW RA organization and uh, digital advertising, et cetera, et cetera. It's always Uh, neat to hear that. Yeah, very, very cool. Thanks for having me, guys. Really, really enjoyed it. So uh, can someone tell me what's going on? No. No. <laughs> that would, just just that, the way I like it. That would sort of indicate that we know what's going on. <laughs> okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.